I'm Brent McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I'll tell you why you should get off the fence and go see Blade Runner 2049. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun, and I'll tell you why you should go see American Made. Plus... I said goodbye this week to an excellent sitcom starring Matt LeBlanc. I'll tell you about the wonderful send-off for the series called Episodes. First, it's the news... From the couch... trailer arrived this week for Star Wars The Last Jedi. And while I'm super excited to see the main character from The Force Awakens, Rey, begin her Jedi training with Luke Skywalker, he's not too excited by her power. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Luke is afraid. Remember, Luke? Fear is the path to the dark side. This trailer does a very good job of misdirecting. For example, here's the bad guy from The Force Awakens, Kylo Ren. Let the past die. Kill it. If you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. During that little voiceover, we see him piloting a TIE silencer locked onto the bridge of a ship where General Leia is waiting. He has the finger on the button ready to kill her. You heard the hesitation at the end of that clip. Is this how they will choose to have Leia's character exit the series in the wake of Carrie Fisher's death? I doubt it. We also hear Supreme Leader Snoke talking, and it looks like he's talking to apprentice Kylo Ren. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. But is he talking to Kylo Ren? I think he's talking to Rey. Just like I think Kylo Ren was talking to Rey. Just like this little guy is talking to Rey. Let me play it again for you. All right, maybe not. That's a porg. It's a fuzzy little seabird creature, and it's going to sell lots of toys. Back to the theme of misdirecting, Luke even points it out in the trailer. This is not going to go the way you think. Heck, even the final scene shows Rey talking to Kylo Ren and ends with him extending his hand to her but that's what they make it look like. I think they've just cut two different scenes together. For a misdirect, that's okay. It's a trailer. It's supposed to tease us and get us excited about the film, not tell us exactly what happens. Trailer, by the way, was viewed just over 120 million times in the first 24 hours across broadcast TV and social media platforms. Not quite as impressive as It, which hit 197 mil, but still not too shabby. The Last Jedi opens the night of December 14th. 
need someone to show me my place in all this. That is a yes. What? The ring. That's from the newest trailer for Justice League, and it features Henry Cavill's Superman in a dream that Amy Adams' Lois Lane is having, as it turns out. Officially, Superman's still dead. He won't be by the end of the movie, I'm guessing. After that opening stanza, the new trailer focuses on the other heroes of the Justice League, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash. I had a dream. It was the end of the world. Invasion. I think it's something more. Something darker. Darker? I thought they were going out of their ways to make these things a little lighter. We're asking people we don't know to risk their lives. Strong man as strong as alone. You ever heard that? That's not a saying. That's the opposite of what the saying is. While Batman is still all broody through the trailer, the other folks, especially Aquaman, do seem to be enjoying themselves. The world needs Superman. I made him a promise. This is why I brought you together. Ride ain't over yet. My man. There's a lot of good action in the trailer as well, under a blood-red sky, which means something to those who have read the comic books. The rest of us will find out November 17th. Oh, awesome. As a bat signal, that's your... Oh, shit, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's, that's what that means. It's so cool. My name is Bill Tench. This is my partner, Holden Ford. We're from the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Behavioral Science Unit. We're doing research, interviewing men like you. If you do go to Vacaville, you definitely need to meet Ed Kemper. They call him the co-ed killer. Do you think the Kemper would talk to us? Try stopping him. That is from the new trailer for a Netflix show called Mindhunter. It's from director David Fincher, the genius behind many great films, including one of my favorites, Seven. He's also the man who kickstarted the first Netflix original series, House of Cards. Mindhunter is based on the true crime book Mindhunter, Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit. It's set in 1979, when criminal psychology and criminal profiling at the FBI are still in their early days. The show focuses on two FBI agents who interview serial killers in jail to try to understand them and use that knowledge in a constructive way to, like, you know, solve murders and stuff. Shepard finds out you've been interviewing the co-ed killer and he'll flip his It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So you're just gonna say and do whatever you want. We decided no one was beneath our contempt. And that snail didn't change your mind. 
There were two main things that got me excited about this trailer. One, seeing in the headline that the show is from David Fincher. Two, there's a blink and you miss it moment in the trailer featuring a woman who looked familiar. I froze the frame and realized, holy crap, it's Anna Torv! AKA FBI agent Olivia Dunham from one of the Couch Potatoes' favorite shows from a few years ago, Fringe! plays a psychologist in Mindhunter. Psychopaths are convinced that there's nothing wrong with them, so these men are virtually impossible to study, yet you have found a way in near-perfect laboratory conditions. Hello, ladies. That's what makes this so exciting and potentially so far-reaching. After I watched this trailer, I learned it's actually the second trailer for Mindhunter. I didn't even know there was a first trailer, which was released a couple of months ago. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. You know, there's a lot more like me. Yeah, that's not creepy or unsettling at all. Mindhunter has already been renewed for a second season. In the meantime, you can watch the first season on Netflix right now. It's out this weekend. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? This picture's from the 10th round of the first fight, right? I heard about a third fight between you and Apollo behind closed doors. Is that true? How do you know all this? I'm a son. Creed was one of the best movies of 2015, and given that it was technically Rocky 7, that would make it one of the best sequels ever, especially for a part 7. What other good part 7s are there? There's Furious 7, great movie, possibly franchise best. Star Wars The Force Awakens, great movie, franchise fourth best. We don't have time to get into that. Police Academy, Mission to Moscow. Never saw it, but feel safe in saying not a great movie. One to four classics, then it got dumb. It got dumb after four. After four. (laughs) Anyways, Creed was terrific. Critically, an audience acclaimed, made $175 million, got Oscar nominations. Stallone losing out to the guy from Bridges Spies. That guy very much deserved his Oscar, but I still wanted to see Sly get one. Now, since it was such a great film, made money, they are, of course, making another. They are smartly not calling it Rocky VIII, but rather Creed II, and Sly is going to direct it. The last thing he directed was this. They are the world's greatest mercenaries. The only life they've ever known is war. The only loyalty they've ever had is to each other. The Expendables from 2010 it launched its own series as well, and Sly has directed many other sequels in both the Rocky and Rambo franchises. In fact, Creed 2 will be his fifth time behind the camera for the eight Rocky movies, so he's done most of them. He probably won't write it. I mean, he hasn't said he will. He does write a lot of his own movies, though, and he's not always great at it. But he is much better at behind-the-scenes stuff than he's ever gotten credit for. And with reprising his Oscar-nominated role, maybe he'll have a late artistic period like other Hollywood tough guys, Clint Eastwood and... Well, Clint Eastwood. Like Clint, we mostly show up, though, to Stallone movies for that dry wit. Glad you could drop in. F*** you. I prefer-
for blinds. I use non-fat milk. Thanks. But I'm lactose intolerant. Who the f are you? Tiger Woods. Are you insane? You don't just kill a guy like that. I just did. Who sent you? Your hairdresser. Thinks he's Rambo. Rambo is a Duh! Dumb lines aside, Stallone's always been a better actor than he's gotten credit for. Creed wasn't the first time or the last. I mean, heck, just this week, he was delivering dramatic dialogue on This Is Us. It's a funny thing. You think about it, time. Your sister sings a couple of bars of Rocky and for a split second I can smell the ring again. And then she tells me that when you were little kids, she watched a lot of my movies, and I'm thinking for a moment about my kids when they were little, messy hair and matching pajamas and all that stuff. And I swear to you, I can see it all so very clearly. I could just reach out, touch it. He's a good actor. They're already working on Creed 2. Michael B. Jordan will be back as Creed, and it's rumored Dolph Lundgren will be back as Ivan Drago, the Russian boxer Rocky fought in number four. If they get an old man buddy dynamic going, that'll be a lot of fun. Creed 2 will be released sometime next year. You let me go and I'll pretend this never happened. You don't and I'll burn this f***ing place to the ground on my way out. Don't f*** with me. I just go like, yeah, 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 sugar. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hold your contempt. I hold his hearing in contempt. I hold my lot of contempt and all my stuff in contempt. Bring it on. Oh, is this the part where I'm supposed to be scared? Congratulations. You're fired. It's good to be home. Bang. Down. Own. <laughs> You're like a Kentucky Fried Idiot. <laughs> that was tip of the iceberg. I got about five minutes into what was like a half hour collection of killer Stallone lines on YouTube. There's that stuff's out there. You can go look for it. Nice. That is the news from the couch. And up next, we are going to tell you what is coming to home video this upcoming week. Including one, a big one, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes, having a look at what is new on home video this week. We'll start with this. I just feel like I could be doing more. Listen, Peter, there are people who handle this sort of thing. Can't you just be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Let go of me, let go of me! Activating parachute. What's that, Jeff? Spider-Man Homecoming. I, I'm actually excited to go pick one up on Tuesday because I only saw it once in theater and I really liked it. I was intended to go see it again. I just never got around to it. Yeah, same here. I quite enjoyed it as well. It was nice to finally see Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic yep. Universe. And I think it, of all the Spider-Man versions we've seen on screen, this one felt the the most fun in terms of the way the character is written in the comics. Yeah. That's not to say that I, I mean, I love the Sam Raimi the first two Sam Raimi yep. Spider-Man films. And I didn't even mind the Andrew Garfield ones, but this one really nails it, I think. The first Andrew Garfield one, which was good, but not great. So, like, yeah, this was, you know, easily the best one since the Doc Ock Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. Yep. And that was, like, 13 years ago. So that was, a you know, a long time coming for Homecoming. Also out on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, Girls Trip, which is a raunch com starring Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett-Smith, and Tiffany Haddish. They go on a girls trip to New Orleans and raise a ruckus there. On Digital HD, The Dark Tower, the Idris Ilba and uh, some kids star in that one. That's the Stephen King book, right? Yeah, it just came out in early August. It was a spectacular failure at the box office and uh, looking for Second Life on home video. 
Oof. I would imagine it's not going to find it. Uh, yeah. Unless the Dark Tower is your favorite book or book series. It's a bunch of books, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, okay. So it made fifty million domestic, worldwide total one hundred eleven million. That's not awful, but that's not great. They yeah, were, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what is there anything else? Yeah, over on Netflix, there's uh, it's one of you know Adam Sandler had that deal, right? And this is he had like a six movie deal. I think this is one of them. It's called The Mayorowitz Story, starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and Dustin Hoffman. Directed by Noah Baumbach, who is an indie filmmaker. He made The Squid and the Whale, a movie called Kicking and Screaming, not the Will Ferrell one, a different one. Uh, the Sandler Stiller play brothers. Hoffman's their dad. Um, they blah 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 get together in New York. There's talking and stuff. It's a it's not. <laughs> It's not one of these silly Sandler comedies. It's like uh, uh, like a real movie. Oh. And, and apparently it's fantastic, and apparently Adam Sandler just kills it in it. Wow. And that is from uh, Legit Movie Cricket saying that. So. Oh, my God. So there you go. And it's on Netflix, and it's there now. There's talking and stuff. Yes. Well said. <laughs> Up next, we are going to give you a couple of movie reviews. Jeff went to see American Made. I went to see Blade Runner 2049. We'll get into that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We both went to the movies this week. We'll talk about that now. I went to see the Tom Cruise movie, American Made. This is the United States Drug Enforcement Agency. We are ordering you to land. All right, boys. Let's land. My name is Barry Seal. That's for the damage for your sister. Hey, little darling, and your bike. Some of this really happened. He landed a. Saw me. Oops. He landed a small plane in the suburbs and paid off some kids to keep quiet and took one of their bikes. Uh American Made, like I said, stars Tom Cruise as well as Domhnall Gleeson, Sarah Wright, and Jesse Plemons. It's directed by Doug Lyman, who's made such movies as the Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow, which we both really like, The Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and Swingers. Well, I think that was his first movie. This one was a lot of fun. It starts with a bang. It never lets up all the way until the end, and it's quite a ride based on the true story of a guy named Barry Seal. He was a hotshot pilot hired by the CIA in 1978 to fly a small plane over some uh, South Central and South American hotspots where communists were funding guerrilla warriors, and all he was supposed to do was snap some pictures from above so the CIA could, you know, get some uh, intel that way. Within a few years, he was also transporting cocaine for Pablo Escobar and smuggling guns here and there, working all sides and getting paid by everybody. His story was very briefly portrayed in the first season of Narcos on Netflix, and they really only showed his, the story from the point of the view of people working at Escobar case. This is from Barry's side of things. It's quite a view. It goes through the different stages of all the things he's involved in with uh, interesting structure. He narrates the movie, and the narration is shown as him speaking into a camcorder. He's recording his story on VHS. We don't find out why until the end of the movie, but it's a cool way to sort of organize his story and the story of his life. He has a wife and kids. Uh, The less they know, the better, but soon the danger and all the money coming in force him to at least do a little bit of explaining. And it's that, uh, you know, it's kind of like that Scarface type story. I'm nobody. Suddenly I'm richer than you could possibly imagine. And then, you know, the question is, will I be able to handle it and keep my neck above water? Like I said, quite a ride. Lyman keeps his foot on the throttle, not to the point where it feels exhausting. It's just constantly moving forward with little time for looking backwards. Barry's like that. He's a guy like that, so it's fitting that the movie's like that, too. Tom Cruise, of course, very believable as the charming Barry. And I like his southern accent in this. People from the south may not feel the same, but I dug it. Didn't seem like he was just doing it for the sake of doing it. But I love Tom Cruise. I know a lot of people have been over him for years now, but he's doing 
lots of interesting things at this stage of the game in his career, I think. Um, this one, not quite as adventurous as some of his other roles, like in Magnolia or Tropic Thunder, but it is more out there than you're used to for Tom Cruise. I, I think, like, I've seen him in so many PG-13 action movies in the past 10 years that it was kind of a little jarring when he, you know, dropped an F-bomb in this movie. Again, a blast from top to bottom, interesting story and characters, terrific kinetic filmmaking that makes you feel like you're right there in the action. Another great turn by Cruise. Uh, if it needs one thing, maybe it needs more heart, but that's one of the risks associated with true stories. Another risk is the ending, but Lyman gives this a real improper ending, unlike many true stories where you leave feeling unsatisfied because the ending just didn't do it. Not so here. You leave glad that you went in in the first place, and I will give American Made four couch cushions out of five. Right on. Four couch cushions out of five for American Made, and I went to see Blade Runner 2049 this week, the follow-up to the classic science fiction from 1982. That seems to be the problem. Death. I want more life. An experiment. Nothing more. Nothing more. More human than human is our motto. That first film was directed by Ridley Scott and starred Harrison Ford and was adapted from the Philip K. Dick novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It was about a dystopic future where replicants are causing some problems. Ford played Rick Deckard, a police operative known as a Blade Runner, who hunts down and retires said replicants. Replicants, by the way, are bio-engineered, bio-robotic humans. This past weekend saw the release of the sequel some 35 years in the making. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. That's a creepy Jared Leto bringing into the world another replicant. He talks about stuff being built on disposable workforces. In the original film, the use of replicants on Earth was forbidden. They were only used for work on off-world colonies. Also among the cast in this new film, Robin Wright, pardon me, Robin Wright, Dave Bautista, and in the lead role this time out, Ryan Gosling, who plays an LAPD officer, a Blade Runner, and he discovers a dark secret that might bring an end to humanity. So he goes looking for Rick Deckard, who disappeared over 30 years ago, which means Harrison Ford is back. You're a cop. I had your job once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. The movie is directed by Quebec's Denis Villeneuve. Ridley Scott serves as executive producer this time around. Blade Runner 2049 got solid reviews, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it underwhelmed horribly at the box office, with an opening weekend of 32.7 million, well short of the expectations in the 50 to 60 million range, which is a massive disappointment considering the budget is 150 mil, and then the marketing campaign has just been relentless for the last few months. Maybe the first problem is the running time, two hours and 45 minutes. The first one is just short of two hours in most, if not all, of the many different cuts of the film that exist. So right there, that's a big black mark against this one. People find out a movie's nearly three hours long. That's enough to chase a lot of them away unless it's something like Lord of the Rings. I mean, geez, it almost chased me away. A friend invited me to see it. I said, sure. Then I found out it was nearly three hours long. 
thought maybe I didn't want to see it after all. I was actually pretty grumpy about the whole thing when I got to the movie theater. Turns out I loved it, and my buddy fell asleep. Despite its length, Blade Runner 2049 must-see theater experience. Visually, it's a masterpiece. Every frame is carefully crafted. Looks like a a painting on the screen every time there's a new shot. Denis Villeneuve is just a he's a real cerebral director, and it's firmly on display. It's just mesmerizing. I mean, you've seen it in his past works like Arrival or Sicario, or there was another movie uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal called Enemy, which I highly recommend if you've never seen that, although that's got kind of a weird ending. But anyway, that's another discussion. Um, so yeah, the way the shots are framed, to the lighting, to the visual effects, it's all quite amazing. From a sound perspective, it has a stunning score from composers Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish. Very reminiscent. Did I say that right? Benjamin Walfish? Walfish? I don't know. I've never even heard of him. Hans Zimmer. You know his work. Anyway, it's very reminiscent of the first film, although the composer should have been longtime Villeneuve collaborator Johan Johansson, who previously scored Villeneuve films Prisoners, Sicario, and Arrival. He also scored that show that I have loved, told you all about many times this year, Trapped, the show from Iceland, because he's from Iceland. And he actually was signed on to do the music for this, but he later exited. There's no word why he was replaced, so that's kind of weird. But either way, the sound is great, and the score builds in intensity throughout the film. Eventually, it's so intense that it just rattles your bones near the end. It's really great. The main knock on this film that I have heard is that not only is it long, but it's boring. Yeah, it is slow and deliberate, but I was glued to the screen the whole time. It had my complete attention. I enjoyed the pacing, and maybe there was that pacing that got me into it because it was nice to just sit back and relax and not look at my phone for nearly three hours and get just kind of ensconced in this film. I will admit, though, by the end, I was ready to go. It did not need to be as long as it was. And I think I also would have done myself a service had I rewatched the original Blade Runner. It's been nearly 10 years since I saw that first one, but you don't have to have seen the first one. They do a good job at the beginning of explaining the basics that you need to understand, but I still think I would have had a better experience had I reintroduced myself to the Blade Runner world. Overall, I dug this movie. Now I want to go back and watch the first Blade Runner, and in fact, watch all the different versions. Not sure will I'll ever find the time for that, considering my PVR is at 95% capacity, full of TV shows I need to catch up on, and I still need to watch The Handmaid's Tale, and now this David Fincher show, Mindhunter on Netflix... I'll figure it out. Go see Blade Runner 2049. I'm giving it four couch cushions out of five. I would have given it four and a half if it were 20 minutes shorter. And again, go see American Made. Jeff gave that four couch cushions out of five as well. Up next, Jeff's going to tell you about one of the new shows he has been watching, and I'll tell you about a show that I have been watching for years now, but I said goodbye this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're going to talk some TV now to wrap it up. And I saw, I want to talk about a show I've been watching called Ghosted. Leroy, you were the best detective the LAPD ever had. The hell? Will you help me? I'm going to get you back on the force. And what do I get? What? Sorry, we'll circle back later. I'm fine. Starting now, you two are working for the underground. Congrats, partner. All right. Oh, my God. Just took his own head off. Did you get super high? Because you sound stupid. Oh, I sound stupid. You sound stupid. Really? 
Starring Adam Scott and Craig Robinson, and we'll get to why I'm playing the fringe music in a second. Uh, Scott, you may remember, was Ben on Parks and Rec. He was also in the Emmy Award-winning Big Little Lies. He played the jerk doing car karaoke in Step Brothers as well. Robinson was Daryl on The Office. He was also in Mr. Robot last year. He's in the Hot Tub Time Machine movies, and he's also the Pontiac Bandit recurring character on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Point is, you've seen both these guys aplenty. They are both very funny, and they're good actors to boot. Scott's character, Max, is a science nerd, a former professor fired for going a bit too much about aliens. Robinson's character, Leroy, a former detective who quit the force when he got his partner killed. They are recruited by a secret government organization to find a missing agent who was possibly abducted by aliens or something supernatural. So... Ghosted is basically a sitcom version of the show Fringe, which was detectives doing uh, investigating supernatural stuff, basically. Every week they investigate a case connected to the main case. They see some crazy, insane stuff that no one would believe is real, and they get on each other's nerves doing it because their characters also have this odd couple dynamic. So it's a high-concept comedy, which is fine, so long as we all laugh. The Good Place is, you know, an even more high-concept comedy, and it quickly became quite hysterical. It's grown into one of our favorite shows very quickly. Ghosted isn't there yet, but hey, there have only been two episodes, and very few comedies are gangbusters right out of the gate, evidenced by, oh, I don't know, Seinfeld, The Simpsons, The Office, Parks and Rec. They all had sluggish starts, episodes that I will very, very rarely rewatch from the beginning, and those are four of the top ten comedies of all time. Even shows that were good from Jump usually got better down the road, like Cheers, Frasier, and Friends, three more all-timers. The good news is Ghostin does have promise. Um, I think the characters are interesting. There's different there's different shadings of guys we've seen Adam Scott and Craig Robinson play before. While there are similarities, though, I didn't confuse them with Ben and Daryl at all. I thought they're terrific guys guys to, you know, have to elevate some of the lesser material in the early going as well. I'm enjoying it now. I'll stick with it. And maybe with a little luck, Ghosted will be added to the list of those other shows I just mentioned. Ghosted actually had two, it's been on two episodes now. Those uh, two episodes make up some of the 95% of my PVR. Oh, there you go. So I've been meaning to get around to that. You can watch that show. It's on Fox and uh, on City TV Sunday nights. uh, Yeah, 7.30 uh, Central Time, I believe. So... Uh, yeah, just check your listings if you want to watch The Ghosted. And uh, I wanted to, to tell you about this series that I have quite enjoyed now for a number of years. It wrapped up this week. Matt LeBlanc starred in a show called Episodes. Hey, where are we on my f-ing window? You're an actor. Act like there's a window. You're a producer. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a show that actually, it, it's final season, season five, was only seven episodes, and this was after a two and a half year hiatus. Yeah, I was going to say five seasons. I thought it, you've been talking about that for more than five years. Yeah, because they, well, it's been two and a half years since season four, and prior to that, it would often take more than a year. Mm-hmm. So they, for whatever reason, I guess scheduling, they would have to sort of wait to get it together. This was a show that aired on the U.S. In on Showtime, that's the the originating network in Canada. It aired on the Movie Network, and LeBlanc plays this pompous, doofus, hilarious version of himself. It also stars two British writers named Sean and Beverly, who have worked closely with him through all of the seasons. You're the abusive boyfriend we never had. You don't think there's love here? No, no. The show started off with these British writers being hired by Hollywood to do an American version of their TV show. Their show in England was called Lyman's Boys, about a private school. The American version, 
They changed the role of headmaster to hockey coach in a show called Pucks. And basically it was kind of lampooning how, because this show I think came started in like 20, 2010 or 2011 or something like that. Maybe even before that, I should probably look that up. But it was <laughs> meant to kind of be a satire of how Hollywood has this tendency to ruin things from England. And I think they, The Office ended up working out, but I remember season one of The Office, Jeff, and you can maybe confirm this. Yeah, season one was not good. Okay. And it had its moments, I mean, but it was no, it was a... Nowhere near what it became. So with episodes, Pucks, the show that Matt LeBlanc stars in, eventually fails, and the writers and Matt kind of ended up going their separate ways. LeBlanc now hosts a hilarious game show called The Box, in which people have to live in a small, transparent cube for 17 weeks, <laughs> and, which apparently there's some producer out in Europe, I think, that wants to really actually do, do the show for How real. How big is The Box? Um... I don't know. It's like 10 feet by 10 feet, oh, maybe. Oh, so it's like a large prison cell? Yeah, pretty okay. much. So Sean and Beverly, in the meantime, are stuck working for this idiot. And I actually didn't like that this particular storyline, and I'm glad they ended that after two or three episodes. But uh, so, yeah, season f- uh, five was only seven episodes, and it was among the funniest shows I watched all year. It was the kind of show that... Just made me laugh every week, and I really enjoyed all of the various characters. And it actually, like, reminded me, uh, I forgot how much I cared about all of the various characters on this show. They're all really well developed. Even though Matt LeBlanc is the star of the show, yeah. Sean and the Sean and Beverly really are the emotional anchors of this show. They're kind of surrounded by all these weirdos and Hollywood brutes. So I'm sorry to see it go, but uh, looking forward to maybe picking it up on home video sometime. Episodes, if you've never seen it, find a way to check it out. Remember when I screwed your wife? Yeah. That's it. Just wanted you to remember. (laughs) He's such a jerk. He's such a jerk. That's all the time we have. I'm Brent. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Get our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.